there and welcome to another episode of Just the Chats, European Movement Ireland's podcast series, where we sit down and chat to a huge range of people across Ireland, Europe and beyond to hear about and learn about their experiences in Europe and Ireland's place in the EU and Europe. My name is Noelle O'Connell and I'm the CEO of European Movement Ireland, an organisation that has been working since 1954 to strengthen and develop the connection between all levels and sectors of Irish society and Europe. And we want to provide factual information about the EU in language that is clear, understandable and ensuring a robust and fair public discourse and debate on European issues here in Ireland. Today's podcast, we have a fantastic lineup of guests because you're going to hear about what it's like to work in the EU as an Irish graduate and what the Irish government, the Department of Foreign Affairs, led by Minister of State for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, are doing to promote EU jobs in Ireland to ensure that we have a strong Irish pipeline in the various EU institutions. European Movement Ireland produces a weekly newsletter of jobs and traineeships in the EU institutions. And our green book, The Irish Trainee's Guide to Living and Working in Europe, is available on our website. And it is the go-to Bible. I'd encourage you to check it out. I'm delighted to welcome our distinguished panel of guests today. Minister of State for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, very recently joined us, Minister, for our virtual Brussels Connection event to welcome those new trainees to Brussels. And we know the minister has an incredibly busy schedule as uh, the Brexit talks uh, continue apace. So really appreciate him taking the time to be with us here today. And also delighted to be joined by two Irish graduates currently working in the European Union institutions. Firstly, Sophie McNamara studied Irish and music at Maynooth University. And Sophie has been working as a linguistic assistant with the Irish translation department in the European Commission for the past year. We're also delighted to be joined by Christopher Finn, who graduated with a BA in French and Léon Anastukron from NUI Galway. And Christopher joined the publications office of the EU in Luxembourg as a language editor on the Irish team earlier this year. And last, but by no means least, we are also joined by European Movement Ireland's own events and operations manager, Kieran Murray. Kieran was a Schumann stagiaire in DG Finance in the European Parliament before he joined EM Ireland in 2017. Now he manages EM Ireland events while also working on events on behalf of stakeholders such as the European Commission, the European Parliament. And Kieran has the busy job of being our project lead responsible for our grad jobs in Europe campaign, reaching out to graduates and young professionals providing advice to those interested in pursuing EU careers. So a fantastic lineup of guests for today's podcast, and I really appreciate all our panel taking the time to be with us. Minister, I might go to you first, if I may. The importance of Irish representations in the EU institutions. In our Red Sea poll earlier this year, it came back with the worrying statistic that 48% of Irish people feel that their voice isn't heard in the EU. And a big part, I know, of your priorities and the Department of Foreign Affairs is to ensure a greater representation of Irish people throughout all ranks in the EU institutions. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your goals and objectives in that regard and how you're going about doing it? Well, I suppose the bottom line is, uh, thanks, Noel, for having me on and congratulations uh, to yourself on uh, your appointed as a, a vice president of, of, of European Movement. That's a, it's a great honour for you and for the organisation. Uh, and it's Thank good you. for us all uh, because, like everything else, it's very good that Irish citizens continue to serve 
in every aspect of not just European institutions, but of course, European organizations such as your own. We've had a, a long history of Irish people working in institutions. And in fact, they have reached uh, very high levels. In fact, uh, Catherine Day and, and David O'Sullivan reached the position of Director General of the, of the European Commission, uh, which is really the, the highest uh, civil servants in Europe. So I think we've a, we've a really good record. Now, it's not that they work for Ireland, uh, obviously, they work for the European Union. But from our perspective, and I think from a national perspective, it's really important that our EU civil servants who work in the institutions, such as the Commission, the Council, Parliament, uh, whatever, the courts, uh, that they understand our culture, our system, and our priorities. And we need to have Irish people working at every level. And as I said, I've listed some of the ones working at the highest levels, and we've lots of them. But one of our issues at the moment is that we've less people, fewer, fewer people going in to the institutions. And that's a worry for the future. There's a bit of a demographic clip. A lot of our senior officials are approaching retirement. And we want to make sure there's a constant flow of good, qualified Irish men and women going into work in the European institutions. Absolutely, Minister. No, no you're, you're very much, uh, I think, have outlined some of the challenges, but also the opportunities there. And obviously, we have a very distinguished track record of leading Irish people who've made such a contribution to promoting our connection and our relationship with the EU through the various positions that they have held across the board. And, and I know, Minister, um, you have been to the fore in launching actually a review. Your department has uh, put out a call for uh, submissions on its EU jobs strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and why, why did you feel now is that, that the time is right to launch such a submission? And I suppose, what are you hoping that the outcomes and the inputs that you get from stakeholders and various various interested people taking part in the submission? Yeah, well, because of what I set out in terms of the, the demographic cliff and the fact that fewer Irish people are getting, getting through the process to get into the European institutions, the Programme for Government has a commitment that we will work to ensure there are more Irish uh, people working in the institutions or, 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 or obtaining employment in the, in the institutions. So pursuant to that Programme for Government commitment, that's on my desk, we have started to develop a strategy which we're a good bit of the way through uh, working out in terms of a, a new approach, getting more Irish people into the institutions. And we put a public consultation out, and I'm delighted to say, on something that you know won't hit the front page headlines. We have well over 100 submissions in on that, and we're, we're still going through them, to be quite honest. But there's a number of common themes in them, and they are nearly all from people, practically all from people who have considerable experience in this area as well. So that's really helpful. So, so we're looking at launching the strategy and next in the springtime, I suppose, um, where I'm hoping to do that early next year. We're still trying to cross a few T's and dot a few I's and, and make sure it's right. But we want to make a big difference to this as well. I mean, the, the, you know, there are people going through and you'll be, you'll be talking to some of them and it's really great to see. But we want more and we want more practical support for people. Um, and also to raise the profile of this. I mean, you know, I, I actually spoke to a secondary school class uh, last week about this. And that's something I, I want to inculcation in at second level as well as well as being an option for third level just to get it into kids minds uh, and that's that's something that I, I would hope to continue to work on as well. That's really important I think Minister and and you know as as Fianna Fáil spokesperson for education and skills you're you're certainly well versed on the importance of the education sector really in in promoting greater awareness and as you said inculcating that awareness at all levels. I mean we've even seen it with our own work uh, with the primary schools through the Blue Star Programme Minister, which you are uh, very much a champion to the fore of. 
promoting uh, an understanding and appreciation of our shared European home and our and our common cultures at a, at a young age in primary school really uh, lays the groundwork, so to speak. But Minister, where we see some of the challenges and I think some of the real challenges in getting a greater level of Irish people through the institutions, and it keeps coming back all the time, is the whole area of language learning. Between 2016 and 2018, Eurostat did a survey and approximately 20% of Irish adults reported that they could conduct a conversation in a foreign language compared with the EU average of greater than 35%. So, so we here as Minister from all our all our work on this, and I know Kieran will probably talk about this in greater detail, the issue of language learning. What are you, is, is your government hoping to try and rectify that challenge? First of all, I'd say me personally, I have very strong views on this. I think we have a national hang up about languages. Uh, and I don't know whether it comes from our previous history where our own language was, was uh, driven into the ground and, and continues to be so in fact. And I, I think that that's a big, big problem for, for us as a people, I think. I think we seem to have after, you know, 14 years in, in school, we seem to have a big difficulty speaking Irish, which is really incredible. And uh, we blame the education system, we blame whoever, but really I think it's each of our own faults if we're not. Uh, we're given the opportunities and we don't take them up. And uh, we don't, most people don't come out of secondary school with good levels of Irish. They do five or six years of French, German, Spanish. Similarly, we don't come out of school uh, with high levels. And I think that part of it goes back to individual responsibility that we have to take more of an interest in this uh, because it is, uh, uh, but really to do that, I think we need to stress how useful it is. And I think when you look at the, the post-Brexit world, yes, English will continue to be, you know, clearly a working language in the European Union, a used language in the European Union, but I think it is the case that many countries are, are happier using their own languages, why wouldn't they be? We, have, we see the French certainly don't speak English if they can avoid it, Germans increasingly I would say too, uh, and I've used Irish myself and I'm proud to do that at the General Affairs Council because we have, we fought for many years for Irish to be, you know, an official language of the European Union and I think we need, we need to make sure that that is turned into something practical. And I think, I think that that needs example from the top. But in terms of what the government wants to do, clearly there, there, there is the, the, we want to bring back languages at primary level to give that start to children, but also as well, and, and this, is, this is being addressed now, good shortage of teachers of foreign languages, actually. That's, that's a big problem. I think that, that that's changing now and that, that has to be part of the process. But I actually think individually, we have no excuses. We have so much education given to us by wonderful teachers and then if you turn on Netflix, you can watch Netflix programs in almost any language. So I, I really think we just need to get over it and work at languages the same as we work with other things, whether it's sport, whether it's uh, education, whether it's skills or whatever, I think, because we're going to be at a national disadvantage uh, if we don't change this process. But government absolutely uh, needs to lead by example, needs to use languages and, you know, provide resources for education system. But like those resources are already there. We have significant teaching of languages at schools in this country more than most, in fact. Uh, I think we have to use them to the, the fullest degree. Couldn't agree more with you, Minister, and it's something that we're very cognizant of ourselves in EM Ireland, and we, we really do try to promote all of the linguistic diversity of the EU, and, and I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. There is uh, some sort of historical legacy and and hang up on on languages, and particularly in, in many cases, our own our own language Irish and we have to try and overcome that because there are huge opportunities for people with language skills and I don't and I think we have the capacity to do that and we just have to to, to go ahead and Minister you mentioned there as well the B word and and Brexit in terms of uh, as we look forward to to 2021 
um, and Ireland, you know, being the, the largest um, English speaking country, how do you see the importance of having a strong Irish representation in the various EU institutions, agencies and bodies post-Brexit? Do you think there are opportunities there for, for Ireland or would you see that there are more risks associated with this? I think the fact that the, of the UK leaving the European Union, it does reinforce the need for more people from Ireland to consider a career in the EU institutions. When I attend the, the Council of Ministers, one thing that strikes me is in the council building, the office next door was the UK's office. When you walk by it now, it's empty, it's locked up, and you can see chairs stacked uh, and furniture stacked waiting for someone, the removal van to come, I suppose. It hasn't just arrived yet. Maybe they're waiting for the end of the transition period, I don't know. And there are other countries looking for that office now. But, but informally, that would have been a good link for this country. You know, we've worked on various issues, whether it's of, of common interest on this island or whether it's European issues. And these two English-speaking countries next to each other, I think that that was very useful because you could swap notes maybe on how we'd approach legal matters, for example, because obviously we're both from the, the well, we're, we're from the common law tradition that we inherited, but also in terms of English language drafting of of implementation of, of, of European legislation, I think would, you know, I think it was useful to get, get that, you know, common approach, maybe not, I wouldn't say common approach, but useful to get what they're doing. And I'm sure they probably found it useful to find out what we're doing on particular issues as well. So that's completely gone now. So we're on our own pretty much, I think, as a, as a common law system. We're on our own pretty much in terms of the English language, although English is widely spoken, obviously, and, and it's official, I think, in some parts of the EU and some, some communities. But we're, we're, we're going to need Irish people in the European Union. And one thing about the languages, and again, you know, when I talk about languages, the truth is, and I'm sure some of your contributors will, 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 will go through this with you, the level of language skill required is pretty high very high it's, it's almost at the highest level uh, almost native level language uh, skills so so that's a big challenge obviously for people even even for fluent irish speakers to get into that technical scene for french speakers to get up to that level but even for english speakers actually as well we still have an advantage with english being our native language that we have it up to the highest possible level that is still a problem for people even if they did even if they speak really good english coming from from other european countries so i think we've got to think of that as an advantage in terms of at least one of the languages that you're required to have if you're looking for a job in the European Union, that we do have that native level English. So, so let's not, when I talk about promoting languages and all that, let's not forget that that is a big advantage that we still have. I think that we've got to use it along with other language skills as well. Well, that brings us very nicely, Minister, to, to, our, to some of our guests on today's podcast. And I might go first to you, Sophie, if I may. You have been working as a linguistic assistant with the Irish Translation Department in the European Commission. And your interest in the Irish language has started when you attended an Irish language primary school as a child. And fantastic, fantastic to see that. Well, welcome, Sophie. Sophie, I might get you just to tell us a little bit about what, what do you do? You're, you're a linguistic assistant with the Irish translation department in the European Commission. But what's your job like? That's a great question. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't really understand the job, even outside of the institutions, the job of an assistant can have such a wide range of duties. So it's not really one job that you can describe, you know, all journalists do kind of the same thing, all doctors do kind of the same thing, whereas assistants, it can be really varied. Um, for me in the language, in the Irish translation unit, 
there there's a big range of duties that I do so I would do some amount of event organization I would do some amount of web design uh, for our internal website I do some technical support so if our translators are experiencing difficulties um, uploading their work or anything like that um, using the the software I would help them with that I would teach the newcomers how to use the software there's also a lot of day-to-day organization of the unit or of the department as it now is. It got recently upgraded. So there would be things like organizing meetings, sending emails, chasing up work that maybe isn't coming in on time, preparing documents that are going to be translated. So there's a huge a huge range of things that I would do in my job. Wow, it's, it sounds really interesting, Sophie. And, and tell me, what languages did you have to have before getting getting your role? So how many languages do you speak and, and what levels of fluency do you have with all of them? Because you're going to put me to shame anyway, so go for it. I'm actually probably not going to put you to shame. So the only languages I actually speak at present to any degree of proficiency are English and Irish. Um, I have a smattering of Spanish from school and I'm currently learning French with the European Commission. There was an exception made for Irish, for the Irish unit that we don't have to have three languages. Usually three languages is uh, required to work for the translation unit, but because they didn't have enough Irish translators and they had people who would have been available with hugely good levels of Irish, but who maybe didn't have that third language, they've made an exception. Now, I don't know how long that exception will last but I was lucky enough to get in without my third level being my third language being at too high a level. Fantastic fantastic well it, well it's great it's great that you, you're 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 there and uh, what what tips Sophie would you have uh, for people start, starting out and who were interested in perhaps following in your footsteps what advice would you give? Um, I think there's certainly um, the application process and the hiring process can be very uh, I, I'm not sure the English word for that. Um, it can. There's a lot of back and forth. There's putting in your application. There are tests. You have to wait usually a long time to hear back. First of all, if you're going to move forward in the process, then when you get to move forward. So it can take a long time. So to be patient. It can also be quite confusing filling out the forms online to apply even can send you round the bend they're they're quite confusing but it is definitely worth it in the end and one of the things that I think is most interesting about the job is I got a chance to relocate to Brussels which is an incredible city um, so if you want to travel it's certainly a great opportunity to do that and you get when you're in Brussels you you meet people from all different cultures which is really fascinating there's also a really vibrant Irish scene in Brussels so while you you kind of get the best of both worlds you get a lot of Irish people who are really in touch and meet up a lot and do a lot of things together and then you also get to uh, encounter people from all over the world and all different cultures and backgrounds so it really is the best of both worlds from that perspective a real a real melting pot so so from Brussels now I'm, I'm going to hop over to Luxembourg and delighted to be joined by Christopher Finn. Christopher, you are a language editor on the Irish team in the Publications Office of the EU. Fantastic title. Tell us more. Hello, <laughs> um, for having me. So I'm a language editor in the Publications Office here, which is probably another thing that a lot of people don't really know about even within the institutions. So language editor is the new title that they've given to proofreaders because they felt that proofreaders, it wasn't really, it didn't really do justice to what we do because we don't just look at the language, we kind of, we get like word documents are 
PDFs and we have to kind of put agar on them. We have to really make them look nice as well. It's a great way as well to learn a lot about the European Union and what they do in terms of the types of documents that we get. Uh, I know myself, I've learned a lot about the different institutions since I've gotten here. So it's really good. It's, it's, it's a really great job. Fantastic. And Christopher, do you have a very uh, multinational team or, or is it is it mainly Irish speakers on the team or is it is it a mix across the different language editors in the publications office? The way it's broken down in the publications office is we have a team for every official language of the European Union. So we have 24 teams. Each team usually has four people. It depends on the size for French, German and English. They have bigger teams because they have more things that need to be published. But for Irish, we have less because for the moment, aggregation on the amount of things that need to be published. But I think there's about 200 of us working in the publications office, just as language editors from the tw from 28 uh, member, well, 27 member states. So it's, it's really multicultural. It's, it's really great. Fantastic. And, and Christopher, you, you grew up in a beautiful part of the world in Clare Galway, in, in, in County Galway. What motivated you to, to go down this career path? Was it something you always wanted to do in college or? I went to college, filled out the CAO form and I wanted to be a teacher. I was pull hell-bent on being an Irish and French teacher. Then I went on Erasmus and I got fondness for Europe and traveling. And then when I was in final year then in college in NUIG, we were told a lot about the opportunities involved in the European Union, the opportunities that were there for us as Irish language graduates, and I kind of just fell into it. Well, well, uh, for, fortunate for us that you fell into it. <laughs> Thank you for that, Christopher. Uh, and I might now turn to our own Kieran Murray, who is uh, responsible for EM Ireland's EU jobs and works very closely with the minister and his colleagues in promoting that and offering advice and guidance, Kieran. I think it's fair to say, to many hundreds. We'll, we'll go with thousands over the years of, of uh, interested Irish people. I suppose listening, Kieran, to, to Sophie and Christopher there and the minister's comments, you know, what, what advice, Kieran, if you had to give top tips to people listening to the podcast who, who are interested in working in the different institutions or agencies, but not too clear on how they go about it, what, what, would, you, what would you say to them? Yeah, no, thanks. Noel. I think really, really excellent contributions there from Sophie and Christopher. Um, the Minister, I think there's definitely a overlying kind of um, theme throughout um, EU jobs is kind of like the, the passion for languages and perhaps a lot of people who undertook Erasmus have gone on to, to work in EU institutions and agencies. So I think from perspective of applying for positions to work in the EU, I think the great starting point is really the traineeship route. And all the major institutions and agencies provide traineeships up to twice a year. So I think for a top tip, I suppose, for traineeships, and I think it's pretty good to bear in mind that a lot of people might already think that you need to study perhaps uh, European affairs or law uh, to, to be eligible for these, these traineeships. The EU looks for all um, disciplines across from the science backgrounds to finance to, to, to many other disciplines. So they're always looking for, for new different areas to, to go and work in the EU. So I suppose the, the key things to apply to traineeships is to really research the, the area you want to work in. Uh, obviously, the European Commission, the, um, the European Parliament or the Council will be kind of three main institutions. But don't forget, there's over 40 EU agencies all dotted across member states. And these all offer great opportunities for graduates and young professionals to work there. I'd also say to apply for multiple traineeships, don't limit yourself to the most popular traineeships. 
apply to three or four at a given time. Um, don't put, let's say, all your eggs in one basket, as this will be this will be well um, this will be well versed throughout throughout the application process. Another key consoles tip would be to tailor your application. If you think about it, you're competing against all member states across the EU. So really make sure your application stands out. Remember that your skills need to kind of stand out on the on the application form and to really reinforce that as a minister say that English is your mother tongue. So it's obviously very, very important to have additional foreign languages, but English is our mother tongue as well, um, and obviously Irish as well. So it's important to, to replay that up. Like in my own experience of working in the European Parliament, and a team of 40 people, I've got English and German, but they actually use my English throughout the traineeship period. Um, I was proofreading legal texts and helping the unit with, with the English um, with the English skills. So that's always just, just to keep that in mind, that, that really put it on your application that English is your mother tongue. Another thing I'd say would be to don't rush the application. A lot of the applications would give about a month to apply. Don't rush it. Put a, put a good time into it. Um, and always good tip, I think you'd agree to well, is that to always give it to someone else, uh, perhaps a family member or a colleague or a friend, just to read over the application before you submit it in, just to make sure that it's fine-tuned and that you're giving yourself the best opportunity to be selected for a traineeship position. Absolutely. As we say, always get somebody else to proofread it and spell check it. Um, as, as we know, you know, important if you're applying for a job to be able to spell the title and the role that you are applying for. <laughs> Thank you, Kieran, for that. And, and Minister, I might just jump back to you because I appreciate um, your time constraints. In terms of the EU job strategy that you're doing, Minister, you know, I, I think your department and the Department of Foreign Affairs, the EU Jobs Unit, the Perm Rep in Brussels, does offer a huge range of support, advice and guidance to, to Irish people and applicants interested in pursuing careers. How do you think you're going to kind of further increase, I suppose, the awareness of that and the EU job submission and the strategy that you that you spoke about. Is there the buy-in? If I can, if I can ask a, a difficult question, is there the buy-in across your fellow ministers and across government departments? Because I think it really does have to be a whole-of-government approach to enable secondment of the civil servants, but also um, from an education perspective, and you, you spoke about the, the languages initiative, that's all going to require funding. We know the challenges that public finance purse is going to be under as a result of the COVID pandemic. Where does the Irish government's EU jobs strategy fit into this, Minister? Well, look, and you, I was just, thanks to the contributors there. It's wonderful to hear uh, what Christopher and Sophie are doing. It's fantastic. But also reminded me um, some of the advice Karen was giving of a time when I tried to go back to the post box in front arch of Trinity College to retrieve a job application that I sent when I was there, which didn't include a CV. So so I can certainly relate to, to, to getting everything checked over. Um, I had included the CV, just the cover letter, and I was in, 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 I didn't get an in, in interview. So it's a lesson. But yeah, look, cross-government is, is clearly critical. As the European Affairs, apart from the work that I do, I'm, I'm like a spokesperson for the European Union as well, or for the benefits of it and trying to get people interested in it. But obviously we do need the Department of Education who are fully on board, Department of Public Expenditure who are, we need the Department of the Civil Service uh, as well as Public Expenditure. Uh, we, we need that, and they are on board. And this is a whole of government commitment. It's in the Programme for Government. And, uh, the, the program for government commitments on Europe are pretty extensive, and this is this is a key one. So, look, I know you have done fantastic work uh, in EMI in terms of your green book for stagiaires. 
we in the Department of Foreign Affairs and indeed in the in the permanent, permanent representation in Brussels, uh, we do provide support to citizens applying for, for jobs at the EU at every step of the process, uh, including practice packs, one-to-one -one training as well. And anyone who wants information on this should check out dfa.ie forward slash EU jobs. And we certainly hope that you know, when the new strategy is, is launched, we don't want anyone to wait for the new strategy, like, you know, whatever work needs to be done or preparation needs to be done now should be done. But we do hope that we'll ensure a new generation of Irish graduates go on to have successful careers in the EU, as many have done in the past. And, you know, I think the really good point there by Kieran is that, you know, it's not just legal jobs, it's not just translation jobs, very important though they are, and can bring you up the line into other aspects of European Union. But, you know, they were also recently looking in the Commission for Agronomists, there are some, for example, people with an agricultural background is obviously a key scientist. So there, there's lots of areas of policy uh, that people can get, you know, uh, if that's their thing, uh, there, there are opportunities there. And I certainly encourage as wide a range of applicants as possible to, 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 to get involved and, and be interested. And I was delighted to hear Sophie mention as well that Brussels is a lovely place to live because sometimes people worry, do I want to? It is actually, it's a lovely spot. Luxembourg, there are other cities as well where there, where there are institutions too. So, so um, look, I, I hope that this does mean change and I'm so happy to see all of the various NGOs like yourselves involved in trying to promote this as well. I think it'll bring huge national benefits and personal benefits to those who successfully apply as well. Absolutely. No, thank you very much, Minister. And I think on all our behalfs, thank you and your, your department. It's, it's great to see that level of emphasis and support at a government level, Minister, because I think that really helps drive it forward and, and uh, really gives it a little bit of extra impetus and push, which is, which is so important for those of us uh, working on the ground um, at it. So, so thank you very much for that support. And the Minister mentioned, uh, Sophie and Christopher, that, you know, Brussels being a, being a lovely place to live. You tell us actually for both of you, I mean, you're, you're living and working in Brussels and Luxembourg, different times with, with COVID. I can imagine the, the working, your, your work life is, is somewhat different. How are you finding things? Is it, is it a change? You know, everything is now being done remotely. Christopher, do you want to jump in there maybe? I actually started um, only this year, kind of in the middle, well, after the first wave of coronavirus. So I have only rarely been to the office. So it's definitely been a big change for me as it's kind of the first time that I've started teleworking and I've kind of been doing it as I started. But honestly, I had kind of apprehensions about Luxembourg because I didn't really know much about it beforehand. And I'd kind of heard stories as a lot of people probably have about Brussels and Luxembourg. But honestly, the city is really small, which is a great thing is at the same time because everything is within walking distance. Public transport's free. For the whole country so if you ever want to go on a little weekend trip for a hike um or even just if you're tired and you've loads of shopping uh you can just take a bus and go home and like we were talking about earlier about a multicultural atmosphere it's crazy in luxembourg everyone speaks at least four languages of people coming from everywhere in the world especially in europe so it's a great way to meet people as well Fantastic. Well, well, hopefully uh, with the traffic light system and hopefully with positive news on a vaccine development, we'll all be able to travel and enjoy uh, the beauty of Luxembourg uh, in the not too distant future. Um, Sophie, tell me just in terms of yourself and Brussels and, you know, very, very conscious looking at your, your at your background and your experience. It seems like a fantastic journey, you know, if you were if you were looking back to your younger self or giving advice to any of your your classmates in, in Kildare, what, what would you say to them or, or what top tips would you give them 
that you found particularly useful that helped you get to where you are today? Well, I think, first of all, like uh, Christopher said, I think the same. I didn't have a great preconception of Brussels before I moved there. I think, I suppose I sort of thought of it as very political and not much else going on. And like I said as well, there are preconceptions about the job as an assistant. So one piece of advice I definitely give is to put aside preconceptions. Brussels, as I'm sure Luxembourg is as well, Brussels is a really, really lovely city. It's got really fascinating culture. It's got a really vibrant art scene. It's got lovely landscapes and places to walk. It's got a little bit of everything. Similarly, the role of an assistant, probably when I was in school, I would have never said that I wanted to be an assistant. But this, I actually really love this job. It's really interesting. It's You get great variety throughout your day of the things you do. So definitely putting aside preconceptions and giving things a shot. Certainly one of the biggest reasons I chose to take the job in Brussels was because I wanted to travel. And this was a great opportunity to do that. And I think that it really was the right decision. It's a brilliant opportunity. Um, in terms of getting jobs in the European institutions, uh, you can look, there's a website, eu-ireland.ie, um, and there's a page on that website called Deshna Fustiachta Le Guelga. So I'd recommend looking there for any uh, current competitions that are open. I think at the moment there are no competitions open for applications other than there are two cast competitions which run all the time, which are for, sorry, I actually can't remember what they're for. They're for, um, Sorry. The contract agents? No, not at all. Yeah, the contract agents. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, I was just um, actually about cast. That's actually how I got this job. And I think that it's another thing that not a lot of people know about, because even with doing studies and translation studies, where a lot of people come to us and talk about the European Union, they don't really expect our cast. I know for the moment, because I think it's the same ones that I apply to, they're for translators and proofreaders. Yeah. And they're open all the time, so you can just apply at any time and you get put into a pool and an institution contacts you if they if they want to. Fantastic, Christopher and Sophie. I think that's that's a really good point. And, and Kieran, to you coming in on that as well, that would be something in your your experience of giving advice to people, the opportunities as, as both Sophie and Christopher outlined there, being aware of, you know, ad- additional avenues that can be taken as, as yeah. the guys outlined. Absolutely, I think it's well it's well flagged. I think it's it's a job for for us all to to make people more aware, as well as of the the cast opportunities, the temporary opportunities. And it's a really good way of getting your foot in the door to work in the institutions and in the agencies. I know some friends have worked on two year, four year contracts with the European Commission, the European Parliament, and these then could be renewed then after a certain amount of period as well of time. And of course, like they do, of course, reap the benefits of being a internal employee of the European Commission and the Parliament um, and then they can go for internal competitions and as Sophie was saying like there's obviously help there for the employees that they can upskill their languages um, and avail of all the training that's necessary as possible so I really would encourage I suppose their listeners that to have a look at other avenues as well um, and obviously Brussels is such a such a multicultural um, a diverse uh, city that it has hundreds of organizations that, that will work directly and indirectly with the EU institutions so for people who have the passion to work in the EU there's very many avenues there to get to get your foot to the door I suppose from European and Ireland's perspective 
the many kind of uh, toolkits that we provide in gaining this, this information. Um, as Noel said before, our EU jobs newsletter every Thursday, it goes directly to over 3,000 subscribers' inboxes. And that's like a one-stop shop of all the positions, the perm positions, the cast temporary positions, and obviously the organizations that are involved across Europe. So it's kind of one of a kind across the EU member states. Um, so we encourage everyone to visit europeanmovement.ie to, to subscribe to that list and to have a look at our green book as well for a, a trainee's kind of life and guide to, to get those positions that are really progressing your career across the EU institutions and agencies. Yeah, because I, I, I think you're on to your point, you know, our weekly jobs list, which which you compile with the colleagues, is certainly our one of our most subscribed and most followed. And the amount of people I bump into over over the years and in, in, you know, in the European Parliament or the Commission or the Council who thank us for the jobs list and the green book as as being the first port to call that they had in setting them on their career path so we're delighted to keep going with that no th- thank you Kieran, for that folks i might just turn to you all just for one brief last last question if i may before we wrap up today's podcast christopher starting with you maybe if you had you know a real top tip what would be your one overarching top tip to to encourage more more of your peers and cohorts to consider following in your footsteps and those coming up behind you? What, what would you say to people? I think I'd probably say just to go for it, even though it could be really daunting when you compare yourself to people from other member states who might have more of a, a knowledge and languages of you. Or you might think that they know more about the European Union because they're on the mainland and we're an island. Just go for it. Just um, as Sophie said earlier, just be prepared about the administrative process for applying because it does take a really long time, but stick with it because it's worth it. Have the patience. Fantastic, Christopher. Thank you. And and Sophie, what, what, what would what would your, your advice be? Um, I suppose my advice would be to keep an open mind, you know, keep an open mind about where you're going to live, about the job. Don't write it off as something, oh, that wouldn't be for me, I think, because it, it almost always is a lot different to how you preconceive it. So yeah, just keep an open mind. And like Christopher said, go for it. Give it a shot. Try it out. Fantastic. Go for it. Just just do it, right? Kieran? would that be something you'd agree with what Sophie and Christopher were saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd say to keep applying. Like if you apply once or twice, you might be you might be disheartened. But I said, keep at it. And I suppose really um, maybe talk to people who are working in the commission in the parliament, like Christopher and Sophie, get their first-hand experience. And they'll be also able to give you top tips on your application and to go forward to that then. Thank you all so much. What a fantastic EU Jobs podcast that has been. But unfortunately, we are out of time. I'm delighted that we were able to have Minister Thomas Byrne, Minister of State for European Affairs, outline the government's EU Jobs Initiative and the support and work that he and his department and officials are doing in promoting and encouraging greater Irish representation in the EU institutions, of whom we have fantastic examples on today's podcast, Christopher and Sophie. Many, many thanks to you both uh, from Luxembourg and Brussels, giving us an insight into uh, life um, as an Irish graduate working in the EU institutions. And we really hope for our listeners that today's discussion was inspiring, hopefully motivating, and hopefully we've encouraged some of our listeners to throw their hat into the ring and follow in your footsteps, and not least our own Kieran Murray's footsteps as well. Kieran is our EU jobs manager in EM Ireland, so he's always on hand to deal with any jobs 
queries or EU career advice or guidance, if, if any of the listeners have that, don't hesitate to get in touch with him. And a big thank you to our listeners. Really appreciate you tuning in to our Just the Chats podcast. All of our Just the Chats podcasts and webinars to date are available on our EM Ireland player that you can find on our website, europeanmovement.ie. We have all our upcoming events, busy schedule coming down the track, and you can sign up to our weekly EU jobs list to make sure that you are kept up to date with a very comprehensive list of all EU job vacancies and opportunities each week along with our Just the Facts explainers series and our trainee Bible, otherwise known as the Green Book, written by Irish trainees for Irish trainees and a guide to living and working in the EU. Strongly encourage you to check that out and to download it for all information. We continue to share and connect across all social media channels. Please do stay tuned for our next podcast. And in the meantime, Slongafool, stay safe. Agus Gormiel Mahkouf Galer.